Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. He played five seasons in the SHL, won a gold medal with Ferriestad, was a notorious point scorer throughout his career, but is still most remembered for the tough and sacrificing style on the ice. It's been almost a decade since this Canadian power forward quit playing hockey, but Swedish referees, many fans and opponents probably still get the creeps thinking about this 43-year-old agitator. A warm welcome to the podcast, Lee Goran. Thank you for having me. How are you? Uh, doing well, as well as we can with uh, with all this COVID nonsense going on, and uh, we're uh, we're doing well. Except from uh, COVID, what are you up to nowadays? Well, I've got uh, I've got two young boys, thirteen um, year old and a ten year old, so um, we're full bore. They're both playing hockey. Um, my wife's doing well. Um, we got a little one year old puppy, so uh, we're staying busy with lots of things like that. Um, I run hockey camps in the summer. We've got, um, I'm in sales. I, I sell uh, personal and commercial insurance. So I've got, I've got a great schedule. I kind of make my schedule and uh, it's, uh, we're, we're doing good. We're enjoying our life. Do your boys have the same style on the ice as their dad? Not yet. Um, they're both pretty laid back. Um, if they were playing against each other, I'm sure they'd want to rip each other's faces off. But um, <laughs> playing against other people, um, they're still pretty tentative laid back uh which is nice it sounds kind of weird seeing you with a one-year-old puppy uh i didn't really want a dog we've had <laughs> dogs in the past i grew up with dogs but uh my my kids and my wife and we he's great we love him he's uh he's a rescue dog um named remy he's got uh some pit bull he's got some um australian shepherd he's Got like 10 different breeds in them, so... Uh, Lee, I don't think that many people here in Sweden know the reason why you had to hang up your skates there in 2013. Uh, you want to explain what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was May 26, 2013, and uh, my wife and I and and um, my boys and Marty Lundberg's sister, uh, she was staying with us from Shaleftio. Um, she was staying with us, Lisa... And um, we were coming home from church on a Sunday morning and uh, we were taking a left, got a left turn arrow um, and another vehicle coming against traffic, um, ran a red light 
and, and hit us. And I ended up with, uh, thank God, you know, Lisa was okay. My wife was okay. Both boys were okay. And I ended up with nerve damage in my right shoulder, um, which didn't allow me to pass a physical. So, you know, I went through the summer trying to figure out if I could play or not and had to see specialists. Dealt with a lot of pain and, and stuff and everything like that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, doctor told me that my hockey career was done, that my, uh, my nerve wouldn't uh, wouldn't rejuvenate back to 100%. And with the, the contact that hockey is, that I should retire. So it was a kick in the stomach. Um, it was a big change in our life because, again, I was, we, I was heading to Russia. I had a contract to go play in Russia, which was one of the countries that I wanted to get to um, that I hadn't been to yet. And, uh, you know, we just had to, we had to hang up our skates and start our, start the next chapter of our lives. I guess the consequences could have been a lot worse, but how big of a trauma was this for you? You're, you're 100% right. It could have been so much worse. The guy was going, you know, 100 kilometers an hour. We could have ended up with, you know, fatalities, people dead. And, and you know, thank God, you know, I, I lost my hockey career. I still have my family. And, and, you know, obviously that was the most important part of that whole deal. But, you know, changing, changing lifestyle and, and, you know, not being able to, to do the things that I wanted to do as far as playing hockey. That was, it was tough, but again, you know, grand scheme of things, I lost a hockey career. I didn't lose any people in my life. So it was, it was a good thing. I saw you've been doing some coaching on junior level a couple of years back. Uh, is that something you want to do more or are you pretty much done with hockey professionally? You know what? No, I don't think I'm done professionally. I, you know what? I would, I would love the opportunity. Like I, when I first retired in 2013, I went to St. Olaf and I coached college hockey and was an assistant coach and absolutely loved it. Like loved the recruiting, loved working with the guys, you know, just teaching the game, which is, you know, what I'm good at and what, you know, it's what I've done my whole life and, and to pass my experiences on. And, and again, I've, I've played for some amazing coaches and learned the game. So for me to, you know, and now, you know, I've got a 10 year old and I got a 13 year old. So You know, my wife has always said, you know, let's let's concentrate on them, and they, you know, they deserve to have me as their coach, and they deserve to to learn from from their dad, and and not that I'm right or at, at everything, but you know, just to to share my experiences with them, which which we do, and we go through that whole process with them. Um, I did one year of high school hockey here in Minnesota, and the state of Minnesota has a great high school hockey program. But again, every parent thinks their kids playing in the NHL, and and I just I quit after one year because parents are ruining, are ruining it for for coaches, for good coaches. Because again, at the end of the day, you don't want to deal with all the bullshit that they they bring to the table, and their kid wanting to, my kid's a Division One athlete, my kid's gonna go play pro hockey, and it's, it's like if your kid plays beyond high school hockey, I'll eat my shoe. Like, and that's you know that's kind of the whole the whole situation with that is. You know, you want to make sure that you're creating an atmosphere for these kids. Because again, no matter who you are, your hockey career ends. Sidney Crosby's hockey career is going to end. And it when it ends, what do you have to add to society? What what can you bring to society to be a good person and and be successful beyond the hockey rink? So again, that's a big piece of the deal that I big piece of the puzzle that I teach to my kids is we have to be good people. We have to take care of each other. We have to be great teammates. And at the end of the day, we're going to end like this, this hockey career is going to end and we have to get regular jobs and we have to get, be good people. Uh, how's that been for you to like get into a, a normal business, so to speak? Um, at first it was not something that I wanted to do, but again, you know, you, you embrace, you learn, um, you adapt, you know, and again, 
I went from playing in Canada to the U.S., living in the U.S., um, living in Europe. So, again, I've been adapting my whole life, you know, and different coaches, different styles. So if I'm starting a business tomorrow, I want to hire hockey players. I want to, I want to hire athletes because they're an adaptive group of people. They're, they're able to adapt to different things, um, different systems, different cultures, and they figure out how they can fit in there and bring the best to bring their best to, to the table. And that's, that's what's so fun to watch all these kids and, and these, these people do stuff like this. It's so fun. Five seasons in Sweden, Lee. Uh, overall, how do you look back at this time? In 2007, I signed my first contract with Sheleftio in Sweden. And <clears throat> my son, my son was born July 31st, uh, my first son. And Sheleftio wanted me there August 1st. And I was just like, listen, like I got, I got my sons coming and it was the whole thing. Cause again, like I wasn't sure if I was going to go, if what I was going to do. Um, cause my son was, you know, two weeks after he was born, I, uh, I hopped on a plane and I went to Sweden and to me playing over in Sweden, especially in Sweden. And again, I played in Germany and Finland and, and, uh, Switzerland, but especially like Sweden there, the people there are so welcoming, Um, it was an absolute blessing for me. It was it was some of my favorite years. Our first year in Sheleftio, making the playoffs for the first time since like 1977 in, in the elite. And we weren't a great team, but we were a scrappy team. And I remember somebody in the paper had us finish 12 out of 12. And I literally cut it out of the paper. And again, at that point in time, I didn't even know what the hell they were saying. <laughs> and as, as, I, as I lived there, I got got to, you know, learn words and learn phrases and, and understand Swedish a little bit, but I put that on our fridge and that was our motivation all year. It was like, screw these guys. These guys think we're going to finish 12 out of 12 bullshit. We're not going to do that. And, you know, we had some great players. Michael Renberg was there and obviously watched him play in the NHL over here and in the nineties. And, you know, it was, we had, we had a fun team and it was a great group, but like I said, it was, the way they the way people responded the way people treated me for the most part you know we got a couple one argument that got me kicked out of sweden for a little while but everybody everybody treated me so well and it was it was absolutely amazing such a such a cool experience um something that i never expected to happen and so thankful for all my years there and you won the gold there with uh, Ferry Stad in 09 uh, that was also your best year in Europe when it comes to scoring goals was that the most successful season of your career you think as far as you know the regular season i didn't have a real good playoff there but in all honesty like that was that was a great year like playing on a line with Rickard Wallin who was a centerman and You know, we had some just some really like Jorgen Jansson, who was was awesome in Sweden. We had a great group of guys, and we just came together at the right time. I remember our last national team break. We were kind of fighting for first place, and we were kind of sitting there going, "Are we going to get this done?" And this and that. And I just I remember we after we came back from the break, we were like, "If we if we win five out of seven, we should win the league," and we won all seven. And then we swept the first round, swept the second round, and I believe we beat uh, Hove four one in the finals. So in our last 20 games, we lost one. Yeah, and <laughs> it's sick. You know the 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 veterans on that team, Jorgen and Rodine, and and some of these guys, they all just brought their best. They brought their best at that time of the year, and it was it was so fun because you know during the year, like a big part of our team, we you know we we relied on on Wallin and myself and that line, and and then all of a sudden these older guys just said it's playoff time. Now we're going. 
And, you know, give all the credit to those guys that, that last stretch of 20 games, like it was, they were incredible. So personally, you know, as far as the goal scoring and, and stuff that we did that year, um, that would be, that'd be up there. And then obviously capping it off with a championship in Ferry Stud, you know, was incredible. And funny story, well, not funny story, but a story about that is in, in game three of the finals against Hove, I got cross-checked in the face. I went to hit somebody and I got cross-checked in the face and didn't sleep all night, missed the next, you know, we drove back from Hove, got back to Karlstad and I sat out game four because I, I thought I had concussions and, and stuff like that. And my whole career, I've been able to remember bits and pieces of every game. And then, like, I'd, I'd do anything to play. I did, And the doctor kind of held me out. And, you know, I went through the, the protocol for game five. And I was like, I want to play. We, we lost game four. We played game five at home. And we won the championship that night. And I don't remember any single part of that game. And I, I remember because and I was on a six-month contract. And I had to get out of the country in a timely fashion. So Ferry Stodd didn't have to pay the extra taxes. I didn't feel right. And we celebrated and I'm not the guy that goes home first ever. Uh, I'm there till the end. And I like to be, you know, I like to have a, I like to have a good time. I like to party. And I remember going home, you know, we had our parade and, you know, we did our square thing and, and I, w- I went home early and I, and I still remember I, we flew home. We left, we left Sweden and we flew through uh, Amsterdam and I got off the plane in Amsterdam and I started throwing up all over the floor in Amsterdam. I couldn't, like, I was just so sick. So I got home and didn't, um, literally right from the airport, went right to the hospital when I arrived here in the U.S. in Minnesota and they did some CT scans and MRIs on my head and they found that I had a pretty bad concussion then. And doctor's like, well, I'm glad that you didn't play since the last time when this happened. I was like, well, no, I did. I played one game. We won the championship and I don't remember a damn thing. So would I do it again? No, but you know what? It's just being part of it was, it was awesome. And seeing us celebrate and, but I wish I remembered it. Did uh, doctors w- want you to be out of the last game? I mean, who, who decided that you were going to play? I think at the end of the day, it was me. My wife was my wife was absolutely pissed off with me, but you know what? Like it is what it is. When you when you when you know better, you do better. And I didn't know any better. I just I was tough, and I wanted to be out there. And when I was thirty years old, I was I thought I was invincible. So then the next season, you had to leave uh, Freistad, though, uh, after an incident between you and a supporter to the club. Uh, how do you describe what happened there? I ended up, I believe I had, I had broken ribs and I was trying to play through them and I was getting shot up, numbed up on, on most game days and stuff. And, and it was just, I wasn't playing that well. And at the end of the day, I really, after we won the championship, I really didn't want to go back to Ferrystad because I heard rumors that, you know, all these guys were leaving, like Rickard was going to play, play in the NHL, which was great. And, you know, a big reason why I came to Ferrystad was to play with him and and to be line mates with him so i asked for my release and stuff and i just said hey like let's just part ways and they they wouldn't let me go i was bitter a little bit about that and again we had a we had a cool group of guys it wasn't it had nothing to do with the team it just i just wanted to go somewhere else and i wanted to go somewhere else in europe where there was more on uh, north americans be more feasible for my wife and my kid and not that not that sweden wasn't I love Sweden and it wasn't anything against the people or anything. It was just, it was a comfort level thing and playing with, with very good players. So we went through that process and 
he, you know, and it went, it came, it was, it was through Facebook from what I can remember. And this guy just started chirping me in a message. And I was just like, pardon my language, fuck you. You know, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I'm feeling. And, and then he started to get a little bit more personal with, with some of the things. And then I just asked him if you'd, if you'd like to meet me at the rink in the morning and, and I could shove my fist down his throat was kind of the, the, uh, the extent of it. And then, you know, I was sitting out and injured. And all of a sudden I'm walking up to go to my seat and, and obviously he printed this thing out and he removed some of the things that he said and some of the things that I didn't say. And, and again, it was, it, it was what it is. And if I could go back and do it all over again, obviously I just delete the message and move on with my life. But like I said, I'm an emotional guy. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I do it on the ice. I do it off the ice. It's a good thing. It's a blessing and it's a curse. And, you know, to this day, I've 43 years old, I've learned to, to deal with it a little bit better and and not be so um, snap judgment, like fire, fire things up. And my wife helps me with that because again, there's times where, you know, I feel like my kids are wronged or I'm wronged or my wife and I need to fix it. And sometimes it's like, you don't need to fix it. Just move on with your life and forget about it. So shitty way to leave. But you know, if I could go back and do it again, I'd obviously change the way I handled the situation and, and the way I had, you know, I would have had a different attitude, but you live and learn. When you when you know better, you do better. The word fighter in hockey, does that have a positive or negative vibe to you? For me, it's always it's always been a positive thing. I know the world's changing, sports are changing. But again, like I've I'll always I'll always say this. If there's there's people on the playground, there's people in hockey rinks, there's people in this world that can't fight for themselves. And if you're able to fight for them, why wouldn't you? Why can't you? Why shouldn't you? And again, you look at my fights and in Europe and my, even my fights over here in North America, when I was playing the NHL American league, they weren't a lot of me just trying to be an asshole and trying to get out there and, and beat somebody up. There was always a reason. There was always a reason. And I was never a guy that, you know, one like these tough guys in the NHL back in the nineties and early two thousands, they did these stage fights where they just line up against each other and fight. I never did that. I fought because some, I was wrong. Somebody was wronged. I felt like there needed to be something said or done. And, And again, like I, I believe that the game is calmer and it's it's a better game when when you don't have to deal with referees and they, they don't have to police you. They can let the guys take care of themselves. And at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm totally against concussions and all that stuff. But I never you know, I fought a hundred times in my career, I never got a concussion from a fight. I got a concussion, I got concussions from dirty plays, dirty hits. And that's to me. That's where the fighting comes in. That's where the fighter comes in. And guys are less likely to do that shit if they have to be accountable to somebody. I think this is interesting, though. Like most fighters, uh, if you want to call it that, who, who come to Sweden rarely have offensive strengths. Uh, they're often like solid defensemen or quite limited. Uh, but you really contributed with both the physique and the point scoring. Yeah, it was... Um, and I think I think that's why Sweden embraced me so much is because they didn't they didn't realize that guys like me were around. And again, like there's a bunch of guys in the NHL that are like that. And it's you know these big power forwards that can handle themselves and handle handle nonsense and and still score. And, and again, I I played college hockey where there was no fighting. I didn't fight once in four years in college hockey. And you know, as an All American, I led the country in goal scoring. I was second at like. There was lots of stuff that was that was positive there, and I turned pro. And again, it, when you turn pro and you're six three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, you're you're expected to stick up for yourself. You're expected to stick up for your teammates. Yeah. But again, like when I played in the NHL, the NHL teams expected me just to do that part of it, which which wasn't fun. Which 
you know, I was a hockey player and I wanted to be a hockey player. And at the end of the day, going to Europe was great because, you know, I got extra ice when, you know, I, you know, I think I fought five or six times. I don't think it was a ton, but again, I got more space and I would played hard and I played tough and I, you know, I wasn't a cheap player. I don't think I, I don't think if you went and asked the kid, the guys that I played against when I was in the Swedish league, is he a dirty player? I don't think they'd say, no, I don't think he's a dirty player. I think he's a hard guy to play against. And he's, he's going to hit me every time, every time he gets a chance to. And if he gets a chance to score a goal or make a play, he's going to do that too. So it it was, it's, I love being the, I love being the player I was. I I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't ask for more, more skill. I wouldn't ask for more toughness. I love being the player I was. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that I did. We're now getting quite deep into the playoffs here in Sweden. Uh, I, I guess you, you don't follow it, but that's how it is. <laughs> and th- there have been a few brawls and stuff like that. How, how important would you say this part is to like... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mark your presence after facing the same team night after night after night how how important is that to like really be there in their faces it's it's the most important thing like you know and and again when I first retired in 2003 obviously I kept track of of the guys in Sweden and the teams and and watch things happen and um and now so so far removed um I don't follow it a whole ton but I know you know guys that I played with in in Sheleftio Uh, Joachim Lindstrom and and Oscar Muller, they're still they're still doing it and they're still going and obviously I still cheer for Shaleftio and those guys. But again, like that seven game series, that five game series, that three game series, if you can push and and intimidate a little bit, what happened? Like guys going to a shell. I always thought when I first went over there and we won in in Ferrystad, Hove was like they were good. Like they had that Johan Davidson and and those. Two little buggers, uh, those two little rat <laughs> bastards, uh, Levine and uh, and Cornbird. Uh, but again, like those guys were awesome. They they were the reason. Like again, they had a ton of skill. But again, those guys were the reason those guys won every year because they were assholes to play against, and everybody would focus on them. And then Davidson would do his deal, and he'd make you look ridiculous and score goals. And they had a great goaltender in uh, Stefan Liv, and they they did. They did amazing things. And and again, when you have guys like that, when you have guys that can do that and take guys off their game, it works. Did you have any like favorite opponents in Sweden when it came to this part of the game? I I think you guys all heard about the Christoph Oli Tolison battle that I had with with that and Sandy Lindstrom and guys like that. Um, you know, I like guys that played hard against me. And Tolison and Sandy, they they always played hard against against me, which was fun. But then it 
get me fired up and I'd, you know, want to fight them or rip their faces off and stuff. And, <laughs> and again, we, we had a great time. We had a great rivalry and I got to play Sonny in, in Lyncher or in, uh, in Ferry Stud and he's an awesome guy. And I think he's doing a great job. You know, he was a good I think he was our captain that year. He was a great captain and he was a good leader. Um, and then Tolison. Tolson was a guy that I played against over here in, in North America and he wouldn't, you know, he didn't play overly tough and he didn't do that. But then he goes to Europe and he's playing in Sweden and he's the toughest guy in the league. And, and I think every single time that I played against Tolson, I asked him to fight and he was like, no, I don't want to get fined. And I got fired up one day. I told him I'd pay his fine if he fought me. So, <laughs> but again, like that's, those are the rivalries, right? Like that, that's what I remember. I remember, I remember playing against those guys and they play hard and they do all the things they needed to do to try to win. And we would do all the things that we needed to do to try to win. And, and at the end of the day, like I would love to have a beer with all those guys and talk about old times and talk about stories. And, and it's, uh, you know, they're all great human beings and great players. And, you know, we all just tried to fit in and try to try to get an advantage for our team the best we could. And, you know, those are some of my favorite guys to play against. Um, trying to think of some of the other ones. You had quite a big fight with Andreas Pili back in 09, if you remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Early, and I, I remember the whole thing in the third period, we were down, I believe, 2-1. He hit me from behind right in front of the referee. I like it was a dirty hit and I got up and I looked at the ref and I was like you're not going to call that <laughs> and he was like he hardly even touched you and I'm like <laughs> like you're, you're you're full of shit if you think that and I looked at him and I said you just got this guy beat up <laughs> is kind of what I said to the referee and I went skate up and again we went into overtime and again it was a close game so it was like literally things were going on in my head like beeps and buzzes the wires were touching you know all that shit And I was mad. We got like, and it was a close game, so I didn't want to take a stupid penalty. I didn't want to do something dumb. This was filed, and you know what he did. And at some point, this fucker's going to get it. So it just happened. It was the same game. We were in overtime, and he kind of came around the net, and I kind of hit him, and he kind of pushed me, and I was backing off, and he just kept pushing me, pushing me, pushing me, and I was just standing there. And if you watch the video, I don't do anything. And then the referee blows his whistle and says, both of you guys are getting kicked out of the game. And I was like, fuck, if you're going to kick me out of the game, I'm going to earn it. Yeah. So I dropped my gloves and <laughs> made him drop his gloves. You know, like, obviously, whatever happened, happened. And then at the end of the fight, I grabbed him and I pulled him real close to me. And I said, you ever hit me from behind again? This will be nothing. <laughs> and and I let him go and got kicked out of the game, obviously. And the funny thing is he got a two-game suspension and I got a one-game suspension. Because, <laughs> again, in the video, it looks like he's coming after me. And I'm like, I'm just sticking up for myself. So it was, uh, it was a good one. But I remember after that game, I was in the locker room. And my hands hurt so much. I had him in a bucket of ice. I hit him so many times. <laughs> God, his, his grandpa probably felt felt it. <laughs> We probably did. Yeah, uh, but no. Again, like that was once it's done. I, I, you know, my my first concern is, hey, like after I calm down and everything, you know, blood pressure comes down. You know, I'm worried about, hey, is the kid okay? Is he all right? Like, yeah. And again, he was a big tough guy too, so he was fine. I know you also had quite an like intense game with uh, Robin Jakobson in Lulio in. 2013, if you remember <laughs> it, I, 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 I think you tried to get him in the corridor outside the dressing room or something like that, right? Yeah, that son of a bitch. Yeah, um, I don't even remember. I didn't even remember his name, but now that you bring it up, uh, 
He he went after Patrick uh, Zachariah. Uh, Zacherson. Yeah, Zacherson. Yeah. So and Zach was my centerman, and he was a good player. So he went after him. So I I got fired up, and I actually have a picture of me hitting him and him like bending over backwards on my phone. And I, I show people when we go to party, I hey, this is what I used to do. But um, the thing was, so then I got kicked out of the game, which obviously I should have got kicked out of the game. I was, you know, I was sticking up for my teammate and I went after the kid, but then he got kicked out like a little while later after he went after another player on our team. So I was like, that son of a bitch. So I literally walked down. I was going to go right into his locker room and beat the living piss out of him. But I obviously security was there and yeah. calmed me down. And, you know, like, again, if you can't handle me, leave my guys alone. That's That was kind of the deal. And, you know, I think I earned some respect from the guys there because, hey, I, they knew that I had their back. And that was another real good one. <laughs> I, I, I think at least you get to tell him you had you had your eyes on him for the future or something like that. Yeah, and he's, he was probably happy. He probably paid that guy to run that red light to hit me so that I couldn't play hockey anymore. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how it is. Yeah. yeah. How far would you say were you willing to go to win hockey games? The whole way, whatever it took. That was kind of the deal. Like when I got to Shaleftio, I remember the culture was not, you know, one of like winning. Like it wasn't like we're going to win every game. It was like, yeah, we'll show up. And I still remember like I came in after a game and we'd lost. And one of the, the guys turned the radio on after a game, like music. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I went over and I shut the music off. I said, there's no music when we lose. Like I was hard on guys, like teammates. Like I expected a lot. Like, and it was, it, it, it's hard to explain. Like I wanted to win every game. Like I'd do whatever it took to win. And we, I pushed guys and, and I wanted guys to push me. And it was, it was important for us to like, Losing sucks. I don't want to lose at anything. You know, again, there's 12 teams in our league and only one team wins a championship at the end of the year. And that was the end goal. And you think about the teams that win, like they have to do everything right. You do one thing wrong and it can turn the series upside down and, and you could lose and you can be out of the series and you might be your best chance. Right. So to me, winning was everything. I wanted to win every single year. Every time I went on the ice, every practice I was, you know, played a shit ton of hockey games. I was the first guy on the ice, last guy off the ice most days because I love being out there and I needed to get better and I wanted to get better. And there was always room for improvement. And when I got to Shaleftio my first year, there was guys that they would come out, you know, practice started at 10. They'd come out at 9.59 with 59 seconds on the clock and practice would end at 11.15 and they'd be off the ice at 11.15 with one second. And I was out at 9.30 and I'd be out till 12. And we'd shoot pucks. And in Shaleftio, my second year, that was our group. That was the group that they had there. We sat on the ice. We were all just hockey misfits. We wanted to be, we were rink rats. We wanted to be at the rink. We'd sit and we'd shoot pucks for hours. And a Pierre Edward Bellamar, who's still obviously having a great NHL career, Lindstrom, Oscar, we'd be out there for like an hour just shooting pucks. And we just loved it. And we loved each other's company and we loved being there. And that's how you win. Did you and Bert always get along? I mean, he... he Fuck no! Yeah. <laughs> Me and Bert argued all the time. Bert was more stubborn than I was, for Christ's sake. But he was great. He always had the team's best interest at heart. And I know he's doing a great job over there coaching and, and holding guys accountable. But one of his biggest, best attributes is holding guys accountable. And he make guys play hard. And that's how he coaches. And I love playing for Bert. Like, again, like we, we argued and we, we bitch at each other once in a while, but I would, I would take Bert on my, I'd take him as a coach any day of the week. I thought he was awesome. He'd, he'd be one of those guys that'd be out there 
with you for an hour after practice, passing you pucks, doing whatever, whatever we needed to do to get back in shape. He was there. Like, and I, I love Bert and you know, you want people like that in your corner. You want to play for guys like that. You sound like quite a demanding team player. I mean, I mean, for your teammates, uh, is it is it too easy? You think for like young guys to come up today? They practice for like an hour and a half, then they go home. Pretty much, is it is it too easy? Um, I don't know. Like I said, like I said earlier, the world's changing. Um, and again, I think it's changing for, for good. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I remember when I came up, like when I first turned pro, I'd walk into a locker room and like, literally I'd sit in the corner and I wouldn't say a word unless somebody asked me something. Yeah. And now we got young kids coming in and they're running the music and they're doing this and they're taking over this, you know, like I just respected The process, not that they don't respect, but I just respected the process. I respected the guys that I was playing against. I respected the guys I was playing with because holy shit, like these guys are the guys that I want to be. And I don't know. I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I think that, you know, when, when the puck is dropped, you shouldn't have to respect anybody unless they earn your respect. But in a locker room, you know, I'd like to see, you know, some of the younger guys have a little bit more respectfulness towards the guys. But again, like I think the older guys like when the younger guys take take control of things and and you get to see their their personalities and stuff but like i said i played in a different i played in such a different era and time where you know you walked into a locker room and it was like shit but you know what whatever it takes for you to be ready to play this hockey game and help us win do that i know there were a few times when players and even fans accused you of diving yeah this has also been a hot, hot topic here in sweden lately uh what's your take on players like exaggerating or even faking certain situations i hate it i i absolutely despise it i hate it but i'm gonna tell you this when i played in sweden I had a different set of rules than everybody else. That's what I felt like. I felt like the referees, you know, a guy could jump on my back and he could hold me and he could hook me and he could do this stuff and not get a penalty. And I'd go up to him and I'd be like, why is that not a penalty? And the the, the response was, you're too big and strong. Why would that, that shouldn't bother you? Yeah. And I was just like, a hook is a hook. A hold is a hold. It doesn't matter who it's on or who's doing it. It's still a penalty. That's the rule. And, <laughs> To me, the, the the biggest dive I took was when Tolfson pushed me. We were playing Moto in the playoffs, and he pushed me, and I went down, and I my helmet went flying, and I flopped big time, and he ended up getting a penalty. We ended up winning the series, but I was so sick of getting hacked and slashed and held and, and all that bullshit that it was like, if you fuckers aren't going to call it, I'm just going to make it look really, really bad, and you're going to look like an asshole. So... At some point, I hate it. I, I hate it. I should have got a penalty for that. Like, I, if it was me, I would have I would have kicked my own ass out of the game. But, but at the end of the day, like, there's only so much. Like, he can't continually to take his arms and put his arms around me. He can't do that in the corner when I have the puck. They'd be like, "Well, you're too big and strong. We're, we're not going to give you a penalty. You're not going to give the guy a penalty." But it's a fucking penalty. So I hate diving. I hate it. Um, and I I truly believe that they should change the rule that. Again, if Tolson hits me and I dive, I should be the only one that gets the penalty. Yeah, all right. The other guy shouldn't get a penalty. Like if it if it's a legit dive and you're going to call a dive on that guy as a referee, don't give the other guy a penalty because again, it was a fucking dive. Yeah. If he didn't dive, you maybe you might have called the penalty. You probably wouldn't have. Um, yeah, I'm completely hate the the diving and and stuff like that. You played 67 
regular season games in the NHL, uh, most of them in like checking lines. But I know you got to play with Daniel and Hendrik Sedin during a preseason in Vancouver, right? Yes, sir. How was that? Those guys are they're amazing. They were, you know, they were they were so good. Um, everything about them, they played hard. They played strong. They their cycle game it was unbelievable. Like I got to play with those guys. I think I played. Four games in preseason, I think I had six or seven points. And again, like literally, a blind guy could score thirty goals playing with those two guys. Like <laughs> they, <laughs> they are to me. Like if you're building a team and you're going to have two guys in their prime, they'd be right up there on my list. Like I, I watched them cycle a puck for four minutes one time. Like it was unbelievable. Nobody can touch them. It was like, we use this expression now with our young kids. They were playing chess and everybody else was playing checkers. That's how far ahead they were than everybody. And and again, off the ice, two of the most amazing human beings that you'll ever get to, to associate with and, and chat with and, and just be, they were awesome. Um, and we always played, uh, this was kind of the years where I started playing soccer before games and watching Hank and Danny play uh, two-touch before games two of the best soccer guys like the way they could handle the soccer ball they'd always end up in the finals against each other and they would they would um kick the ball at each other so hard <laughs> and they it would they just handle it it was they were so good there's they're just they're mvps in life they're good they're awesome except from winning a couple of uh, championships in your career uh what would you say are your most fun or like crazy memories from your years in hockey the craziest years um craziest memories one of my favorite memories of, of Europe was we were playing in Sheleftio my very first year there and we had a chance to clinch a playoff spot and we were playing Lulio which was our which was our big rival and we were at home and my dad was in town and uh, my father was in town from Winnipeg and he was watching the games and we had it was an afternoon game I believe it started at three o'clock and I just said to my dad I was like listen if if we win this game and we clinch a playoff spot Sheleftio will be the drunkest city in the world. <laughs> and my dad was like, all right, well, win, then then we'll go out and have some fun. So, so we played the game, and I believe we won the game. And I, I believe it was 2-0 or 2-1, and I think I had both goals. All right. And I think in the in the third period, I think I played like 15 out of the 20 minutes. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> as a forward. And our coach in Sheleftio that year, was he was great. And there was a big reason why I went to Ferry Stud too, was pair. Uh, Perry Johansson. Yeah, he was he was great. So he and he just played the shit out of me all the time, and it was fun. It was great. So we win, and I get done with the game. And again, like all the reporters are asking, like, "Oh, your dad's here," and this and that. And they're like, people are interviewing my dad, and it's like, just keep him out of this. And he's telling the newspaper that he was sending notes to me in between periods to do this and do that. And I was like, and they thought he was. The reporters are like, what, did he really send some notes down to you? And I was like, no. <laughs> so the game ends and we get we get done and we're trying to find a restaurant. And again, my son at this point is, you know, eight months old, nine months old. My wife is like, I don't want to be out. So I, we drop her off. So she drops my father and I off downtown in Sheleftio and we start like, looking for a spot to to eat and every single restaurant jam-packed can't find a reservation can't find a table we walk into this one restaurant and these guys kind of recognize us and people start standing up and clap so i'm like holy shit i'm like let's get out of here so i turn around and i walk out <laughs> and i walk back in and my dad is still standing there and he's waving to all these people while they're clapping <laughs> they can get it for him so i'm like dad let's go 
<laughs> so I walk back in. These guys are like, hey, do you guys want to sit at our table and have dinner with us? And really, yeah, we're looking for a place to eat. Let's have some dinner. So we sat down at that table. I didn't pay for a single thing all night. At one point in time, there were so many beers on our table. And Kent McDonnell, um, he, he joined us. We had so many beers, we couldn't even drink them all. People just kept coming over and dropping drinks off. Now, the funny thing was people kept coming over asking for autographs, and Kent and I would sign autographs for the, for the, for the fans and stuff. And, and then they started asking my dad for autographs. So my dad was handing out his autographs too in Shalefnia. So it's just, like, it just, like I said, like the people in Sweden, they're just so kind, um, so just so, so kind and, and just so welcoming. My very, like when I landed in Sweden, my very first time I got there, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't even have Swedish kroner. I couldn't even, my bank didn't even have Swedish kroner. So I got there, didn't have any money. They dropped me off at this apartment and I'm like, I got to go buy groceries. And I walk into the store and, and again, you Swedish people, oh, I don't, I'm not so good at English. I'm not so good at English. And I'm like, walk in there, I ask somebody, I'm like, do you know any English? Oh, just a little, just a little. <laughs> she ended up speaking better English than I do. And she helped me do my grocery shopping and stuff. And I was just like, I was just so lost. Like, right. Like going to, to a different country, not ex- like, not, no idea, just a Canadian Midwest Canadian boy going somewhere and just absolutely lost, but some great memories there. Um, they treated us, they treated me so well. It was outstanding. Lee Gorin, it has been amazing listening to you for, uh, for a bit. Thank you so much for uh, joining our podcast and uh, good luck with whatever you do here in the future. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.